0: Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be in the same section of scriptures as we was last week. As I mentioned last week, I wanted to go back. We uh, looked last week at... Uh, Because ye are sons, the whole purpose in God's electing was to redeem a people for himself. The reason that God elected a people for the foundation of the world was that he might redeem those people from sin. And that he might free them from the bondage to the law. And so we looked last week. At the fact that all those who are the heir of Christ or the seed of Christ, the elect of Christ, we use the words that Jesus used. The wheat, uh, the goats, or, I mean the sheep, uh, his children, his generation, uh, all these things. And if you remember, we talked about the two seeds. There's the, the spiritual seed. There's the natural seed. There's the, the uh, natural seed, which is in the flesh of Adam. And that flesh can do nothing uh, good. And then there's the spiritual seed, which is born from above, which is the life of Christ. It's eternal life. It's Christ himself in us. Uh, and that that life is perfect and holy and uh, it cannot sin. And that that dwells in this uh, the, uh, fleshly jar of clay. And uh, that seed of people that receive that life are receiving that life, as we seen in verse six last week, because you are sons. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so the whole reason that we receive the experience of salvation is because we have, number one, been elected to salvation. We have been given to Christ Jesus in an eternal, vital union. And that would probably have been my title for last week is eternal vital unity because we see that everybody who is in Christ Jesus, everybody who is an heir of Christ, a brother of Christ in Christ Jesus, his, his people, his children, and we use the word brethren, not as like brother here, but as in relationship. He's a, we are a brother in Christ, a brethren in Christ. So, uh, we are children of Christ Jesus. We have been given to him by the father, uh, and he has come to, uh, save us. Matter of fact, if you remember, um whenever, uh, uh, the, it was to be told that Jesus was going to be born, the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people, his people from their sins. So last week we looked at the fact of the reason that we are receiving our recipients of get, being given the knowledge of what Christ has freely given to us is because we are heirs. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If, if ye be Christ, that's the, that's the, the deciding point. If ye be Christ, only Christ's people will be the heirs and, 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 receive the things of God, that salvation and the experience of knowing that salvation. Okay. Okay. And so we um, we looked at that last week. Now, I mentioned at the end of last week that we we're going to go back. We we're going to look at uh, these same verses again because there's other things that we'd like to pull out that I'd like for you to uh, ponder on in these verses. But let's go to the Lord and, and ask him to be with us this morning uh, before we read here and uh, get into the message. <clears throat> Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you today. For your grace and mercy that we have in Christ Jesus, the very things that we sung about, Lord, we do pray and hope uh, for you and for all that you have done for us, Lord. We know that anything that we do of our own self cannot uh, bring us uh, into uh, acceptance with <laughs> you, cannot keep us in uh, preservation, uh, perseverance. We know that everything is by your hand, Lord. We know that you procured our salvation through your blood. That is because your death, your resurrection, that we have life and that we have it abundantly. We know that through your resurrection and through your death that we have been reconciled to God, that we have been um, justified before God. Uh, we know that by your death, Lord, that we have been freed from the bondage of uh, the law and uh, that you and your fulfilling of the law satisfied mm-hmm. Uh, everything that God required for holiness and for righteousness and that that has been imputed to your people. And so, Father, we are so grateful. We know this morning, Father, that anything that we do here that is to be worshiped to you in spirit and in truth as you require uh, will take the Holy Spirit of God uh, enabling us. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us in our spirits today to not only lift up our hearts, but it, that you might renew our minds, that you might teach us, Lord, uh, these things. I pray, Father, for those that are here. Uh, I, I ask, Lord, that uh, that they might be saved. I ask, Lord, that they might be counted among your elect. I pray, Lord, for those that have not been converted, that you would draw them by your Spirit, and that you would give them and grant them repentance and faith, that they might uh, trust in Christ alone for their salvation, and, and thus, Lord, that they might uh come forward for baptism and 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 uh that we might receive them as members of this church, Lord. I ask that you might um that you might be with us as we stand in the gospel in this town, that you might keep us faith, faithful, Lord. Uh we can't do this without you. You're the sovereign God of all things and in control of all things. And, Lord, we know that we are weak and, and that we can do nothing in this flesh. So anything that we can do as far as word, uh, uh pronouncing the doctrine of Christ and, and the gospel, Lord, it's because of you and, and, and your words being given to us and an un, uh, understanding of it being given to us. So, Father, I just pray that you would help us. Lord, we lift up our uh, brethren that are not here for Kevin and Jacqueline and Alessandro, Lord, who have. Went to Guatemala, we ask, Lord, that you'll just be with them while they're there. Give them safety while they're there and on their way home when they come back. We pray for Brother Ed uh, again this morning, Lord, that you might be with him and for uh, for Beth. And, Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you uh, have done for this church and for all of us individuals. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for everything. <coughs> in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye uh, desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Now we will stop right there. I added a couple more verses just so that it will bring us to the place of where it seems that there's a little bit of a break there. But we want to go back and look here at pretty much what we are going to look at, at least this morning, is what does it mean to be uh, in bondage under the elements of the world. We want to look there at verse 3. It says, I say that an heir as long he, as he is a child, and if you remember last week, I shared with you that what we are talking about as far as being as a child, uh, that that's in our understanding. We're a child in our understanding or our experience of our salvation. Whenever we uh, come into this world, we don't come in uh, with repentance and faith already being given to us necessarily. Now, I'm not saying that that can't be the case. Uh, we know that John the Baptist, he was in the mother's womb and he was full of the Holy Spirit. And he leapt for joy whenever he heard about Jesus. So, I'm not saying that that can't be true. I don't know. That's, that goes beyond what I understand. And, and, and the clarity of scriptures isn't quite there. So, I don't know. But I'll say this. That... Whatever the time that that God gives us repentance and faith and, and grants us those things, we begin to understand the gospel. We begin to understand the spiritual things of God. And at, whenever we are a child and we don't understand all those things, the Bible says here that we are under tutors. And governors until the time appointed of the Father. So we're talking about our knowledge of things, our understanding of things. Why do we need a tutor? A tutor is there to teach us something, right? Uh, a governor is there to to control us, right? That's what that's what that's there for. A governor is something that that holds things together or holds things down. If you have a, a governor, he's the head of the uh, of the state, and he's the one who is kind of tries to keep everything in in control. If you have a governor in your car, that's something that won't let you go beyond a certain point. Uh, it, it, it If you try to go, you know, if the governor set for 60 miles an hour, you can't go over 60 miles an hour. It, it controls it. It just stops you there. So the Bible here says that when as we are children in our understanding, as we are children in our experience of salvation. Now, I understand whenever I say experience, and, I, and the reason I'm going to define this is because uh, some conversations that I've had with some brethren on, online who misunderstand sometimes, uh, what we mean by experiential salvation. Whenever I say experiential salvation, I'm not, I'm not talking about things that we do in the flesh. I'm talking about experiential salvation in the fact that God gives us repentance and faith to repent from false thinking to right thinking, from repenting of, of our thoughts of righteousness being uh, by our works to righteousness by Christ alone. And then giving us faith to trust in Christ and his righteousness alone as our salvation. That's what I mean by our experience of salvation. We are experiencing in our knowledge before God give us repentance and faith, we didn't have knowledge as we've seen here. We didn't know, we thought we were just servants. In this world, we didn't know that we were children, that we were heirs. We didn't come to the knowledge. Now, we may have thought we were religious and that we had some sort of a form of religion. And in that, that we were children of God because of our religious nature and the religious things that we do. But (coughs) whenever God gives us repentance and faith, he gives us an understanding that it isn't about our self-righteousness things, that the self-righteous things that we do. It's about his righteousness. That's the only righteousness that counts because all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. All of our righteousnesses uh, are are evil, only continually, the Bible says. The Bible says that that we can't do anything to please God in this flesh. So we have to look to Christ alone uh, as our salvation. And so whenever I mean experiential salvation, I mean that God brings us from not knowing that, to knowing that, <coughs> and not only knowing that, but trusting that as our salvation. So, that that's coming from being a child to coming to this knowledge or this more mature understanding. <coughs> now, remember, brethren, the book of Galatians or this letter to the Galatian churches was written by Paul because those Christians in those churches in Galatia had been uh, bewitched. They had fallen under false teaching that had come in by the Judaizers. The Judaizers had come in and began to tell them that, oh yeah, what Paul said was true, but <clears throat> you have to do this. You have to keep the law of Moses and you have to <clears throat> circumcised, or you can't be saved or you can't stay saved. You have to continue in the law to do this, so Paul's whole purpose of writing this letter is to inform them that the gospel is not about keeping the law, but about trusting Christ who kept the law. It's about Christ whose righteousness has been imputed to the Christian. The, the, the whole letter is to dispel or to or to put down the notion that in any way shape or form our salvation is dependent upon something that we do outwardly or actually inwardly our salvation isn't dependent upon anything that we do at all our salvation is completely outside of us in Christ. Jesus, and that's the purpose of Paul's letter, so let's not ever let lose sight of that as we're going through, though we may be talking about different things in here, remember the overarching theme of Paul's letter is, it's not the law, but it is grace, it is not uh, your works, but it's God who gives grace, it is not uh, what you do in, in making your own righteousness before God that makes you accepted or kept It is Christ alone that does that, has done that for you, and has laid that to your account. And so our knowledge should go from thinking that we can keep a law for righteousness to trusting Christ alone as our righteousness and know that nothing that we can do is going to merit anything before God and that our consciences should be clear that whenever this flesh does do its sinful things, that we have been forgiven of those things and that we should be thankful and that we should go before God confessing those sins, sorrow. We can make sorrow over our sins, uh, which we surely do. I mean, we sorrow over that I hate that I sin. I don't like to sin. I don't like to do things uh, against God or that would bring... Uh, uh, God's name into the dirt, you know, or do anything like that song that we sing. You know, I wouldn't want to be ashamed of Jesus. I wouldn't want to do anything that would bring uh, blight on His name. I wouldn't want to do any of those things. But yet, my flesh is weak, and it can't keep the law of God. It can't do those things. And there will be times whenever I sin. But the the Bible has been given to us and written to us uh, who are children of grace that we might know that we are not only heirs but that as heirs the bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus remember that in christ jesus tells us that we are in him we are his seed we are in him seminally uh spiritually his life is our life his whenever we were born again it's his life that's put in us so we are actually his children and because we are children there's no condemnation for us and so our attitude shouldn't be, well, great, I'll just do whatever I want. I can act whatever, however I want, do whatever I want. I'm saved. Once saved, always saved. You know, that's not the attitude that we have because the spirit of God in us lusts against the spirit of the flesh or the fl- flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The, the The spirit inside of us wants to keep the law of God. It It, 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 it is a servant to the law of God, but our flesh can't pr- produce that. Our flesh can't do that. And so that war is going to be there. Uh, if we just do what we want, there's no war. We just, ah, whatever we want to do, we do, we don't care. You know, there's not that ain't, that ain't, that ain't the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That's the flesh just doing whatever it wants to do. And that's it. The child of grace will have this inward principle in us that in our mind, in our knowledge of things, you know, we know, we, hey man, we should be doing that and we want to do that not thinking that that's going to keep us before Christ or not that it's going to justify us before Christ but we want to do that so we have the desire to do right things uh and everything um, but never for salvation or keeping salvation but just because they're right uh and stuff so, and so we have this in us and so as children our thinking is will we keep these things this is how we are to please God. This is how we are to be accepted. By God. If I do, I mean, you look at it, uh, you, you look at, 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 all the different, uh, uh, TV shows and movies and, and, books that you read. And matter of fact, a lot of the teaching and preaching on TV, uh, basically goes, uh, uh, in this direction that if you do good, good things are going to happen to you. Well, we was watching something just recently. Well, we've been watching, my name is Earl. um, uh, you know his the whole thing you know, on you. You watch that. I've heard of it. Well, the whole premise of that is is you know him trying to uh, please karma, which we don't believe in karma. Uh, that's a new age cult stuff. But anyway, the whole premise <coughs> is if you do good, good things happen to you. If you do bad, bad things are going to happen to you. Okay. Well, the mentality of the natural mind, our Adamic wisdom and understanding, is that. Very thing that happened in the garden. We can be as God. We can be as God. We can do what we can be just like God. We can keep and do things and be like God. And we can't. Our nature is we cannot please God. That's how God designed us. That's how God intended us to be. Whenever God created Adam, He created him with infirmity. The Bible says that He that the creation was created. Uh, Subject to vanity, which that word vanity means uh, an inability or uh, sinfulness. So we were created subject to sinfulness, subject to inability to keep God's law, to keep God's righteousness, to keep God's holiness. And so... We are created in that way, and so our natural mind it thinks that we can do things to please God or to be as God, and that was from the very beginning. That's why whenever Adam and Eve did break God's law, they thought they could fix it themselves by doing good. If I do something bad, if I do something good, God's going to accept me the way that I am. And so, what did they do? They went and they made for themselves a, a suit or a coat of fig leaves. And they thought that what they did would please God, and that it didn't please God, right? He stripped them of them fig leaves, and he and he covered (coughs) themselves, or covered them himself with the coats. So. That's where our understanding lies. Our understanding before we are given repentance and faith is an understanding that this law is given to us and we can go out and as long as we try to keep this law the best we can, that we're going to be accepted by God or kept in the faith by God, kept uh, in salvation by God. But see, this is what Paul is trying to get at. He said, the law is given to you just like a governor just like a tutor. It's there to teach you something. And it's the most elemental, most rudimentary thing that that God teaches us. It's one of the first things, if not the first thing, that God teaches us whenever we have been given repentance and faith. One of the things that God teaches us, and as I said, probably the first thing that God teaches us, is that we cannot... Keep the law. The law is there to tell us, to show us, we cannot keep it. The Jews had the law for however many thousands of years, a um, couple thousands of years, or however long. They had the law, and year after year after year after year after year after year, after year the priest had to go into that tabernacle and had to make that sacrifice. It was, it was bloodbath after bloodbath after bloodbath reminding everybody that this law is impossible for us to keep. And in Jesus' days, these Pharisees and these uh, religious leaders who thought they were keeping the law had deceived themselves. They thought that they were righteous because they were keeping the law of Moses. But as we've read and seen, we cannot keep the law. None of those men. Matter of fact, Jesus even said, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisee, he said, you will never enter in the kingdom of God. And the Pharisees, they were the best of the best in trying to keep the law. But yet nobody can keep that law. Um, and so the law is there to show us, to keep us under its boot. So until God teaches us that there is no hope in law keeping. There is no hope for righteousness in law-keeping. And therefore, as we become mature and we learn that lesson, there is no hope in law-keeping for righteousness, then maturity is, because there's no hope in law-keeping, I have to look away from myself and look to Christ alone for righteousness. That's what is being said in these first few verses. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child if nothing from a servant. A servant is, what does he do? Give me my orders and I'm going to do it. That's what we hear in most religious institutions today. Let me sit up here and preach to you your rule book. And now you get out there and get to doing it. And if you don't do it good enough, bad. You need to get down there to this altar and repent of your sins and get right with God and start doing better. And if you keep doing it, you might lose your salvation. I mean, there's some churches that preach that you can even lose your salvation, which is crazy. That just shows that they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand how someone's saved. But what do we preach week after week after week after week in these religious institutions that's out there? What do we see in church? We've all grown up in, in, in churches that's been like this or been to churches that's like this and seen this stuff. What do they do every week? They preach, do this, don't do that. And then what do they do? They give you a time at the end of the service to come and make it right. They have this what they call an altar so that you can come and cast your stuff on the altar and before God confess your sin and if you do all that then you're made right with God again. Now turn around and go back and this time don't do it. But what happens then you're here again next week then again the next week and Again, and it's all about do this don't do that but if you do Here's your altar. Come to your, the altar. It's, it's idolatry. It's thinking that we can do something for God to be righteous or stay righteous. Okay? You never see that anywhere in Scripture. There's no such thing as an altar in the New Testament church for somebody to come down and pray at. They didn't have those things. They didn't have invitations where they invited people to come to Jesus. They didn't have all these modern things that we see in these churches And so, um, as a servant, what does a servant do? A servant gets its orders and then goes and does that for its master, okay? And so, what do we think? We think that we're a servant. We think that we, we do have our rule book. So, now that we're going to go out and do the things that we're going to do. And so, therefore, we are under tutors and governors until the time appointed by the father. Whenever you have a tutor, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago when we were talking about some of these things, uh, but a tutor or, or a governor, somebody that's over you, like a taskmaster, schoolmaster, what do they do? They tell you what to do, and if you don't do it, do they do they offer you any way of doing it? No, what do they do? They discipline you for not doing it, right? Okay, they don't offer any help on how to do it or give you any way to do it, They just tell you, this is what you need to do. And if you don't do it, you know, you're going to get the get the rod. You're going to get the spanking. You're going to get whatever, the discipline. See, that's what the law is. The law offers no ability to us at all. The law, if we study the law, read the law, memorize the law, know every law that God has made and love it as much as we can, which we can't, Love that law to the nth degree and try to go out and do it. There is no way that we can keep that law. And the only thing that the law offers whenever it's broken is condemnation and death. There is no alternative. The law doesn't offer you a second chance. The law doesn't offer you some moral support. Oh, that's good. Just pick yourself up and go out and try again. The law doesn't say, oh, well, God knows your heart. It's all right. The law doesn't say, hey, you know, you tried, we give you an E for effort, go back out there and do her again. The law doesn't say that. The only thing that the law says is that the wages of sin is death, nothing else. So the tutor, the governor, as long as you're under that law, comes to you and the only thing it says is, you missed the mark. Now you're going to die. You miss the mark, you're condemned. And there's no way to get out of that condemnation on your own. There's no way to get out from underneath the wage or the curse of the law. The curse of the law is sin. And there's no way for us to get out of sin because that's all the flesh can do is sin. So there is absolutely no hope for any man, woman, and child to get out from underneath that curse. Except for Christ. Christ is the only way that any man, woman, and child is brought out from underneath the curse. And they're not brought out by them being reformed in their life and then becoming more holy in their walk. They're, They're brought out from under the curse by Christ dying for them. And then in dying for them, they have the imputed righteousness of God laid to their account. God has forgiven them of all their sins. God has justified them uh, before himself and his righteousness and his holiness. That's the only way that you can be saved. There is no law keeping that could ever save you. And Paul is trying to get this across. The taskmaster, the schoolmaster, all he does is strike you. All he does is condemn you. All he does is tell you, you missed the mark. You missed the mark. You missed the mark. Look what it says. It says, but as under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. See, there is a time appointed by the Father that we come into the knowledge of our salvation. Yes, the law is crashing down upon us. We are guilty of all these things. But yet there comes a time whenever the the Father comes to us and gives us knowledge that we are his son. Let me ask you, I mentioned this last week, remember the product of son. You know, he went away from the father, took all that he had coming to him, and he went out and he squandered away to the point where he ended up, he was having to eat in a pig trough to stay alive, and had squandered all of these things away, he didn't have nothing, and was eating with the pigs. Which to a Jew is bad because the pig is an unclean animal. And so there he was with the unclean animal, eating in a pig trough. But whenever the Bible says <laughs> that he came to himself, meaning that all of a sudden the thought come into his mind, he began to have a different understanding of things. He said, hey, my servants are treated better than, uh, than uh, what I'm having right now. He said, I'm going to go back to my father and if I just have to be a servant, I'd rather be a servant than where I'm at right now. But what, what did he find whenever he went back he found out that his father still loved him. His father had forgiven him of everything that he had done and welcomed him back. He put a robe on him and he fed, you know, uh, he, he, he uh, killed the fatted calf, had a feast for him. I, I can only imagine that that son at that point, after seeing how horrible he was, he was a horrible son. He was a horrible example. He had squandered everything that had been given to him. He had lived in debauchery. He had lived in sinfulness. He had, you know, ended up where he was. And listen, whenever he got back, his father still treated him as a son. He probably felt more like a son at that point than he did before he left. Before he left, he didn't have really the knowledge of what it meant to be a son until he went through all of that sin and came back and found forgiveness. When he came from uh, came to see that his father loved him. Despite his sin. That his father forgave him of all of his sin. And that his father accepted him. Not based on anything that that son had done. Other than the fact that that son was in him as his son. And see that's how it is with us brethren. We live our whole lives and God gives us all this time. However long a time it is to see our sinfulness, to live and see how how uh, uh misguided we are in our understanding. But there comes a time when we come to ourselves, and it's not by ourselves. We come to ourselves because God has given us understanding. He's given us knowledge. He's given us repentance and faith. <clears throat> and then we see, and who do we go to? We don't go back to the law. The kid, whenever he came back to his father and he found out that you know, he was still a son and that everything was good, he didn't say, well, awesome, I'm going to go back and do all these other things because I think I can get it right this time whenever I leave. No, what did he do? He stayed there under his father's care as a son. And so we see here, that's what the law was given to us. And so he says, but we are under tutors and governors until the time Appointed by the Father. So there is a time when we no longer need the law to tell us this thing. And what what is it? That point in time. Well, that's repentance. That's faith that is granted to us by God. And he says, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage (coughs) (coughs) under the elements of the world. And that's what I wanted to talk about mostly today. Is being under the elements of the world. What is this talking about? Well that word element there, uh, in your Bibles is translated a couple different ways. One is rudiments and one is elements. That Greek word that's behind there, this word means, uh, to march straight. We are under, we are under marching orders. We are under, uh, we are under something that tells us to keep in step. You know, you think of the army. Uh, uh, I've never been in the military or anything like that. I've watched lots of military shows, and uh, I know people who've been in the military. And listen, they are relentless. They are ruthless in getting men trained for war. And in doing so, there is no give. There is no. Uh, there is no softness there. That whenever that uh, whenever that drill sergeant tells you to do something. You do it. If you don't do it, you're punished immediately. I mean, it is a relentless press of your person. And that is telling you, you're going to walk in step. You're going to do what I say. You're going to do exactly what is told to you. No questions asked. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's all it's going to be. That's kind of what this word is. This word rudiment or this word elements is comes from a word that means an outward religion or an outward form of walking, and so it says here that we were under or in bondage under the elements of the world or the outward religion, the outward walk of religion of this world. Um, the word uh, the word here also means that um, that it could be uh not only just an outward religion but it means that uh, that we are under the bondage of its understanding of things uh, of how it's mar- how it tells us to walk instead and so here we see it and if you think about it all of us at one time was under that as well even Even whenever we began to be religious, you know, some, some people like me, I grew up in church my whole entire life. And so in growing up under church, you know, I never was out in the world where I, so to speak, didn't know anything about the church or anything about Jesus or anything like that. I grew up hearing about this stuff all the time. Doesn't mean I was saved, but I mean, that I was, uh, that I was, uh, converted or anything. But in growing up underneath there, uh, you know, I, I had an understanding of, you know, religion. Well, uh, whenever that gets ingrained in our mind, we think, hey, this is how I got to live. This, is how, I mean, even today, knowing the truth of scripture, it still is in our nature to have an outward form of religion to prove who we are, to prove what we are, to make ourselves look good to everybody else. I mean... Whenever you go to church, don't you try to dress up a little more or try to act a little more godly, act a little more holy. You talk about things, you know. Uh I, I notice that sometimes uh you know, whenever you're around certain people, you know, then they may have a foul language. But whenever they come around a Christian, what do they do? They oh anytime they say something bad, you know, they like, Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Why? Because they know that you are a Christian and that that is bad. We shouldn't be doing that. So they think because they're around you they shouldn't be doing that. As a preacher people that know that I'm a preacher some of my customers (coughs) they know I'm a pastor and a preacher and sometimes they'll do stuff or say stuff and they're like oh I'm sorry I forgot you were a preacher like I'm some sort of a holy relic that they should you know be pleasing or something you know that's outward form of religion. That's how our nature is they think we think that we have to clean ourselves up on the outside to make ourselves presentable, acceptable to God, and to also show to others how good we are. And that's our that's our natural bend. But here it says we're in bondage. That is actually bondage to think and live under a uh, walk in step religion that you have to walk in step to be acceptable or to be kept. That that is actually bondage. That this is the elemental thing. The Jews, whenever they, this word that, uh, I'm sorry, not the Jews, the Greeks, this word that's used here, whenever they heard this, the rudiments or the elemental things of the world, the way the Jews understood these things, they understood these things as like ABCs and one, two, three. What's the first thing you learn whenever you start going into school? A B C D E F G. You learn your alphabet, right? You learn one, two, three, you learn how to count. okay? Those are the rudiment or the elemental things of learning. We have to learn the alphabet before we can learn to read. We have to learn numbers uh, before we can learn to do math. We have to learn those rudiment elemental things. Well, these, this is what this is talking about. We are in bondage to the elemental thing. We are in bondage to the very first thing that is being taught to us by God when we come into repentance and faith is that the law is there to tell us of our inability, not as a walking rule of life. That's the elemental thing. The Bible here is equating the law with the rudiments or the elemental things of the world which is the very basics, the very basics of Christianity, the very basics of learning the gospel, the very basics of anything in doctrine is to first know that you cannot keep the law. It's not something that we teach people way on down the line. Like I said last week, keep some things for more mature believers. The very first thing that people ought to hear is this is what the law says. But guess what? You can't keep it. That's the very rudiment thing of the world. And we are in bondage to that. We have ourselves in bondage to that each time we think that we can be righteous before God by doing self-righteous things. That That's, that's disregarding the very rudiment, very fundamental things of Christianity. Therefore, we are in bondage to the very elemental things, elementary things. That's like saying right now, you kids who are in of the age that you are still in your schoolwork learning your ABCs. By now, you should know more than your ABCs. Well, for a Christian who has been given knowledge, spiritual knowledge, who's been given repentance and faith, and as the Holy Spirit teaches them, they should be past the point now. And that's kind of what Paul's telling the Galatians here. He said, listen, the gospel, remember... He told him, he said, you know, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the uh, revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, you know, what I taught you was what came from Christ. This is not what I taught you. He said, you're going back to the very rudiment and elemental things and you're being held in bondage by this understanding that the law can make you righteous and holy. And that's the very first thing that the gospel should have taught you is that you are unrighteous. That's the very first thing. That's your ABCs and 1, two threes, And you're going back from the death of the gospel of Christ. Saving you and being your righteousness, and you being complete in Him, and then you're turning back, thinking that you can do something of your own accord. He said that's going back and being in bondage to the rudiments of the world. He says, verse four. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made it under the law. So that means that He was born uh, in flesh and blood, like we are. Hebrews tells us that He was made of flesh and blood. Born of a woman, uh, born of a woman, uh, I'm not going to get off on that. There's some thoughts I have on that, whether or not, uh, he actually got his, uh, uh, humanity or his manhood from Mary or whether it was already existent. I believe it was already existent, but however, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. So that the reason that Christ came and died for us and kept the law, fulfilled the law for them, is to redeem his people who were under the law, who were under this mentality of religiosity that I can be something before God by keeping the law. He came to redeem us from the law. Now, I want you to pay close attention to the wording of that. He came to redeem us. What does it say there? That were are under the law so that we might receive the adoption of the son. To realize you don't have to keep the law to be my son. You're already my son. You're my son. And because you're sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son. He didn't send forth the spirit because you're a good law keeper. He didn't send forth his spirit because you are a fine, outstanding Christian or a Baptist or a whatever. Or a Buddhist or a Jehovah's Witness or a Church of God, Church of Christ, Catholic, whatever. He didn't send his spirit because you did any of that. Why did he send his spirit into you to bring you from a childlike understanding to a mature understanding? Why did he do that? Because you're his son. That's what we talked about last week. Therefore, excuse me, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What do you do whenever the spirit comes in and gives you understanding and knowledge and brings you from that child understanding to a mature understanding? You quit looking to yourself and you cry, Abba, Father. You begin to look to your Father for help. The Bible says we look, uh, I'm going to mess it up. We look under the heaven whence come our help. Our help comes from Christ. We look to our Father, Jesus Christ. He is our help. He is our righteousness. Abraham saw Christ and counted Christ as his righteousness. He says, wherefore, thou art no more a servant. So now in our understanding, we see whenever the child of grace has been born from above, given the spirit of God, and then at a point in time, whenever God comes and grants repentance and faith and gives us the knowledge of our salvation, as one Corinthians says, to show us or to teach us that, that has been freely given to us, whenever that point comes then our understanding has changed. We turn from wrong thinking to right thinking. And what do we start thinking? That, hey, we are sons. And that we are no more a servant. I am no longer trying to keep the laws and the rules for acceptance. I am no longer a servant. I don't have a rule book now telling me this is what I have to do to be right before God. This is what I have to do to be holy. This is what I have to do to be saved. This is what I have to do to keep my salvation. I don't have that anymore. I'm no longer a servant, but a son. What does a son do? He enjoys the inheritance. He enjoys, he rests in the fact that I am his son. I am the son of the king. I am the son of Christ. I rest in what he did. His work on my behalf is enough, not only for God, which is the most important. If it wasn't good enough for God, then we're all dead. We're all uh, goners, okay? But it was good enough for him. If it was good enough for God, then it ought to be good enough for us. How be it then, when, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, been brought to an understanding of God and salvation and righteousness of Christ, or rather known of God, how turn ye again, here he is saying it again, to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in, in bondage. He said you've been brought out from underneath the law. Now why do you want to turn around and go back in? Because that's called bondage. That's called servitude. That's called keeping in step. That's called being under discipline. And what's the discipline? The only discipline the law can bring you is condemnation and death. The discipline isn't go sit in that corner for a little while until you've learned your lesson and you get back in the game. No, it's death. It's bondage. Now, Paul uses this term, uh, elements of the world or this, uh, uh rudiments of the world in several places in Scripture. He's already used it once. Turn with me to Galatians chapter uh, 2 and I want to show you this. <coughs> what the Bible says about this because a lot of people don't think that the rudiments of the elements that I'm talking about here is actually talking about the law. They're thinking it's talking about other things, worldly things. You know, the elements of the world. It's talking about how you used to act as the world used to act and all this kind of stuff. Well, the world still acts like someone with an outward religion, even though that, that, look, don't take Christianity. I'm talking about take anybody, take anybody that's outside Christianity. What do the Buddhists believe? You ought to be a good person. What do the Hindus believe? You ought to be a good person. You know, what does Jehovah's Witness teach? You ought to be a good person. What do the Catholics believe? You ought to be a good person. I mean, you take every religion in the world, And it tells you that you need to work and do something to be rewarded. Works for reward. It's all works religion. Christianity is the only place where you're taught the exact opposite. That it's grace, not works. Grace is what rewards you. God giving you grace gives you the reward. God giving you grace to be in Christ Jesus as his children is what gives you the reward at the end. So it's just the opposite. So it's not talking about that. It's talking about the rudiments of religion or Christianity. It's talking about exactly the thing that Paul is arguing in this whole letter is that you are not saved or kept by law-keeping. That is elementary in our understanding of Christianity and the gospel. We are not saved by works. We are not kept by works. Now look in Galatians chapter two, verse four, remember he said this. And that because of false brethren, false brethren, not true brethren, false brethren, unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage see the gospel is a gospel of liberty freedom from being out from underneath the law christ has has uh, uh he has nailed uh all of our uh um, sin to the cross and we are no longer in bondage to the law anymore But what does it say here? There are those who come in and they see our liberty. There are those religious zealots who come in and whenever they say, "Well, these guys, they have no regard for all these the laws of Moses," you know, they don't keep the laws of God. They don't. They don't believe that they're under the law. Well, they're antinomian. They're lawless. They're without law, which isn't true. You got to define which law are we under the the Old Testament, Old Covenant law. No, we're not. That was fulfilled in Christ on our behalf. He fulfilled the law of God on our behalf. We are under the law of Christ, which is to believe on him. That's the law of Christ. But it says here they come in that they might bring us into bondage. You've seen in our uh, verse in uh, chapter uh, four, and verse nine, but now after that ye have known uh, God, or rather known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, same word, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. The law brings us back into bondage. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Now that's what God's telling us. Stand fast in liberty, not in bondage. Stand fast in the fact that you are a child of God and you have been freed from the law. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What's the yoke of bondage? The law. Remember whenever they had the Jerusalem council and they were talking about the Gentiles Paul. And Barnabas had come in and was telling them about the Gentiles being saved and that all this stuff that was going on and that some of the, some of the members of that Jerusalem council who were Judaizers stood up and said, yeah, but we need to make sure that they're circumcised, that they keep the law of Moses. And what did the, uh, what did the apostles do? They stood up and they said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why would you put a yoke around the neck of the Gentiles who have never been under the law? When we who have been under the law know that we've never kept the law. Nobody has ever kept the law. So why would you now go out and preach the law for them to keep the law for salvation or to keep the uh, law to stay saved? Why would you go out and preach that to someone who's never been under that yoke? Why put that yoke on them? That yoke is a yoke of death and condemnation. And that's what Paul's saying here. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of the law. Might as well just say the yoke of the law. Look at Colossians, if you will. Chapter 2. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 8. Uh, let's back up to verse 6. It says, As ye therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Now let me stop right there. How did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? How did we receive him? Well, the Bible tells us that we received him by faith. We received him by faith. Not that we got saved by faith, our faith. Not that it wasn't until our faith was uh, exercised That he give us his spirit. That's not what that's saying. We received. The understanding. And knowledge of our salvation. And our heirship. In Christ Jesus. By faith. See Christ had to give us repentance. Turning from wrong knowledge. To right knowledge. And faith. Seeing the right knowledge. And then trusting in that right knowledge. Alone for our salvation. He had to give us faith. To receive Christ as our salvation. Abraham was given faith to receive Christ as his righteousness. So do we. We have to be given faith. And so how do we receive Christ? We received him by faith. So what does it say? As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, go walk in the law. Walk under the rule of the law. Is that what it says? No, it says so walk ye in him. How do we walk before God? We've got saved. That was our legal salvation before God. That was by the cross. Everybody, even in, you know, false Christianity, says that. Oh, it's by the cross alone. Oh, Jesus and his blood and righteousness. They sing the song. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. They, they believe that the cross is the place where Jesus saved everyone. But brethren, <clears throat> It says here, not that we then say, all right, we were saved at the cross. Now we go walk in the law. It's saying as we receive Christ Jesus and what he did on that cross as our salvation, then we also walk trusting Christ in keeping us. See, there's two words in the scripture that talks about us being kept from the time that we're born to the time that we die and to keep us from falling away or apostatizing or falling away from the faith. And that is called persevere. The Bible admonishes us to persevere in the faith. The Bible says, only those who endure to the end shall be saved. And there are some people that say, well, there you go. We have to endure. So we got to get this law book out and we got to start doing what it says. And we got to endure the, to the end. Otherwise, we'll fall away. And if we just dabble in sin and if we break the law and if we don't do this or don't do that or do this or do that, then we're going to fall away. So we have to preserve ourselves or persevere ourselves. But the but the Bible says there's another word, a P word. It's preservation. Preserved. Same coin, two sides. The Bible tells us to persevere in the faith. But on the flip side of that coin, the Bible says that it is Christ who causes us to be preserved. We are preserved in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. We are preserved It is He who keeps us from falling, according to the scriptures. Okay? So, it says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus Lord, so walk ye in Him rooted and built up in Him. Not in your walk, not in your actions, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So as we've been taught the gospel, We walk in the gospel. We look at the Christ and him alone is our salvation and our keeping. And give thanks for that. That's why we pray and thank Christ for what he has done for us. That's why we come and we worship. We worship Christ in thanksgiving for what he has done for us. And then it says, verse 8, now watch it. This is where it's at. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So there's two things that can be an attack against your liberty in Christ Jesus. Two things that can be an attack against your mind about the gospel. One is the traditions of men which is philosophy, vain deceit, okay, they philosophize. You come to these law keepers that claim to be Christian, what do they say? What's the first thing they say? And I'm and I telling you, I've had many conversations and whenever I talk about being freed from the law and things like that, one of the very first conversations, one of the first questions that pops up in any kind of Facebook thread or anything like this, so are you saying we can just live the way that we want to live, do whatever we want to do? The second question usually is, "Is so you're an antinomian." The third question is, "Is so we just disregard the law and the law is not holy and righteous?" Then that's usually the questions that you get, and all all those questions is absolutely no. We don't believe that. Okay, we don't believe that. Okay, it says. Beware lest any man spoil you. See, if you listen to those who, through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men and those who are preaching that you are to walk in the law for righteousness, that is going to spoil you. Not spoil you in a good way, spoil you in a bad way. What happens whenever something spoils how I many of you guys have gone into the refrigerator and opened something up? Like, Well, here, here we go. Last night I was in the mood for some orange juice. I remember we had some orange juice in the, in the refrigerator, but the orange juice had been in there for a little while. And I went in there and your mom had gotten that out and I said, I was like, man, all right, man, I, I was, uh, one glass of that. It wasn't any good. It wasn't any good. It was spoiled. It was bad went bad okay what does that mean it means it 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 got spoiled it got nasty it got gross it 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 began to rot or to ferment don't let the rudiments of this world the law don't let philosophy and vain deceit in the traditions of men see we're coming into a holiday season that is a tradition of men easter tradition of men you see all these things that are that are the traditions of men that are pressed on you by religion, by religion, by religion. Coming to the altar. That's a tradition of men. Confessing before the church and saying, you know, writing down your name on a card or whatever, the, whatever activity you gotta do so that you're saved. That's all the tradition of men. Every head bowed and every have you ever been in a service where someone has said that? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Now if you feel that the Lord is calling you today, raise your hand. No one looking around. No one coming forward. Or excuse me, no one looking around. No one peeking. But just slip your hand up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Slip your hand up. And they slip their hands up. And then what does those false preachers do? They said, well, everyone that raised your hand, you need to come forward and make your profession known to everybody. Because the Bible says that if you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before the Father. Well, what was the whole purpose of every head bowed and every eye closed? And you're raising your hand silently. No one looking around. Whenever the end of it is you coming forward and openly, publicly telling everybody, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's a tradition of man. That's not found anywhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible. And how many of us have done it? How many of us have seen it been done? How many of us have thought in our mind, well, this is just how it's supposed to be. Why? Because that's what we've seen our whole lives. Because we've been surrounded by people who through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world have preached to us religion and not Christ. they preached to us religion and not Christ. To see this rudiment of the world is something that is something that can spoil us. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. A couple more verses and we'll be done here. Hebrews chapter 9. <clears throat> Look with me if you would. Um, let's see. Start at verse six. Verse 10 is what I'm really wanting to look at, but let's start at verse six. It says, Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But in the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood. See, even this priest could not do service without blood. The only thing that counted was blood. The blood superseded everything. If they went in and did service, but the blood wasn't the main focus of it, it wasn't service. That priest could have went in and out that tabernacle all day long, all day long. But unless there's shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Everything is purified with blood. Blood was the central part of that whole service system of the priest's. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. That's why Christ destroyed uh, that tabernacle that was that was uh, left. That's why he told the religious leaders before he died, he said, tear down that tabernacle and in three days I'll rise it up. They thought he was talking about that tabernacle. He did destroy that tabernacle, by the way, but he was talking about his, the tabernacle of his flesh. He said, tear down that tabernacle because that tabernacle represented him and his people. That tabernacle represented him and his people. Tear that down and in three days, I'll raise it up again. And it wasn't until after his death that what happened? There was a great earthquake in the veil of that temple. The thing that separated that first tabernacle from the second tabernacle that separated the Holy of Holies where that priest went in with blood to offer that sacrifice. There was a veil that was there and nobody could go inside that Holy of Holies. Nobody except for a one priest one time a year. And the only way that he could go in is if he had already purified himself and had followed God exactly in what he was wearing and prepared himself. And then he went in with blood and only him alone. And listen, tradition tells us, uh, history tells us that those men, when they went in, they would tie a rope around their foot. That whenever they went in, in case they did not do something that God had told them to do or did something that God told them not to do. And God killed them they pull them out of the Holy of Holies with that rope because they weren't allowed to go inside there. Only the high priest could go in. Wherever the high priest was that year, he was the one that went in and he went in not without blood. If he went in there without blood, he died. That tells us if we try to do our service without blood, we die. Because all we're doing is trying to follow the law instead of looking to the blood. Look to the blood. The blood It's what does it. So he says here, the Holy Ghost is signifying that the way and the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings, and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come, a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with heads, excuse me, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of a heifer sprinkling of the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot of God, (coughs) purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. There it is. We're purged from dead works. What are dead works? Trying to keep the law. See, that's dead works. That's works in vain. Those men continuing in that service would continue in that service in vain because that service, even though God ordained for that service to be there, it was to point and show towards Christ's more excellent ministry, but that service was there. It never did cleanse the conscience. See, now we are given faith, repentance and faith, that our conscience might be cleared. That we might be cleared of our conscience. Yet, just like Paul said, I know that in me dwells no good thing. O wretched man that I am, I will serve the law of sin with my flesh. But he said, Therefore there is now no condemnation. My conscience is cleared. Who can separate anyone? Who can separate any of God's elect? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because of Christ. Because of His blood. That has cleansed our conscience. Do we sin? Yes. Do we know that we sin? Yes. Do we acknowledge we sin? Yes. Do we confess our sin? Yes. But in our conscience, faith has given us the ability to look to Christ alone, and it keeps pushing us to Christ alone, where our conscience is clear. We no longer are worried about our mis-fall, misfailures, or our mishaps and our failures and things like that. But what did it say? Which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washing. See, these are all the elemental rudimentary things. These are law keeping things that are imposed upon them until the time of reformation or until the time that Christ came. And he put away those things. He fulfilled the law and then he put away our bondage. We are no longer in bondage to him. All right. We'll stop right there. Uh, we are going to continue on in this thought, uh, next week, Lord willing. Uh, um, are you going to be here next week? After yeah. After Christmas? Okay. Um, we're going to continue in these things, uh, next week. Uh, Lord willing. And, uh, because I want to talk a little more and, and go through the scriptures. Uh, I've gathered a few scriptures together about the law so that we can see just like what Paul's telling here, you know, uh, grace good law bad okay we want to see that the bible does teach this not just in a little bit because i hear this from people all the time you're taking a few verses out of its context what about all the verses that tells us about this law and that law and this law and that law again what was the law given to us for to show us our inability to keep it to push us to trust and depend upon christ alone that's what the law is given. So anyway, I'm going to look next week, and we're going to look at some scriptures. We're just going to kind of start at the beginning uh, of the New Testament, uh, mainly in uh, Acts and Romans. And we're going to work our way through the New Testament and show in several places where the uh, law, uh, where the Bible talks about the law and uh, what our attitude towards it should be. Uh, and so that's in keeping with uh, what we're seeing here today. Uh, about uh, about not listening to the rudimentary and elementary and elementary things of this world, but looking into Christ Jesus and, and what He has said. So we need to see what Christ Jesus has said about the law and about Himself. Right? All right. Anybody got any questions or comments or anything? All right, Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we once again thank you for Christ Jesus. And Father, our hope has been that you have been here with us today, enabling us for this worship, enabling us for these things. Lord, I pray that the things that I've preached this morning have not been under the wisdom of man, but has truly been truth as it's uh, revealed in Christ Jesus and in this word. Uh, Father, I pray that anything that is of truth, I hope that you have um, edified your people by it. Lord, we pray once again for those that are here, that you might convert them of the, by the gospel, that they might receive Christ Jesus as their, uh, as their uh, salvation, that they might receive Him as their righteousness, account Him as their righteousness, Father, and that they might, uh, that they might repent of their false uh, understanding of how they are saved, how they are kept righteous, uh, kept, um, in this life Lord. And that they might trust in you alone. They might come. Uh, and uh, proclaim their faith. Through baptism. And uh, they might be received into the church. And be partakers. Of the ordinances of the church Lord. We thank you for all that you have done. For us again. I pray Lord as always that you might help. Keep this church faithful. And that we might continue to be a light. And a witness to this community. Uh, Lord we pray for other believers. That may be scattered throughout our area, that uh, you might bring them uh, to to worship here, Lord. Uh, that they might find a place uh, of like faith and 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 practice. That they might come, Lord, to be a part of the worship. Not that we might tout how many people we have in our services. That's that's uh, that, that's beside any point, Lord. We that is nothing important. But Lord, that we might have others. To join in the, uh, the service of Christ and, and Lord that we might be edified by, uh, them and that we might have fellowship one with another. Lord, we just pray that you might, uh, exalt Christ Jesus through everything that we, uh, preach and everything that we, uh, uh deliver, uh, in the form of tracks or, uh, sermon audio or Facebook live. Lord, we pray that it would be exalting to Christ Jesus and it would be for his glory and not for ours and that he might be the one that is seen. And uh, Lord, we we truly want to uh, uh, put forth Christ uh, in, in everything that we do. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.